Hello, and welcome to Never the Twins Shall Meet, a pop culture podcast hosted by twin sisters, separated by distance, but united by nerdiness. I'm your host, Pi. And I'm your co-host, Lulu. So despite some of our promises, we have actually had a somewhat busy summer and haven't been able to record as much as we wanted to, but we're recording an episode now, so I think that counts for something. And have you been into anything or up to anything since we last recorded, Lulu? Well, a couple things. One is that I finished reading The Sandman by Neil Gaiman, which is a very long-running fantasy comic following Morpheus, the Lord of Dreams. And it explores some really interesting stuff like the power of stories and the power of dreams and whether immortal, powerful beings like the God of Dreams can truly change or care about other people. The last couple of arcs were really good And uh, I I thought it was an interesting comic and I'm glad I read it. I hadn't read much of Neil Gaiman's comic work before I read this. So it was interesting to finally like acquaint myself with him as a comic writer instead of a prose writer. I also finally saw the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was amazing as everyone has said it is. Like it's, it's literally that good. No one is exaggerating. It's a little hard to describe, but it's basically about a woman who thinks she's nothing special and just works in a laundromat and then is told one day that it's up to her to save the multiverse. And it's about different versions of reality and the different paths you could have taken, but it's also just like an incredibly emotional, interesting, also completely bonkers movie. Such a good experience watching it, like genuinely one of the best movies I've ever seen. People are not exaggerating when they say it's good, but also crazy. Yeah, so I'm glad I saw that at last. Also to prepare for an episode on historical romance novels, that we want to do a little bit down the line. I've been reading The Duke Who Didn't by Courtney Milan, which is a very charming romance novel about a duke who comes in disguise to a small town every year for a festival and has fallen in love with a local girl and is trying to figure out how to tell her that he is a duke and his family owns the entire town, which is kind of an awkward conversation to have with the girl you're in love with. It's very funny and the two leads have great chemistry and I've been enjoying that a lot. So I'm excited to talk about it on our eventual upcoming episode about romance novels. Is there anything that you have been into that you want to highlight, Pi? Well, like you, it's kind of been Sandman central in my brain for the last few weeks. After I finished reading the comic series, we watched the TV show on Netflix together, which just dropped at the beginning of August. And I thought it was a really great adaptation of a great comic. The casting was really good. The adaptational changes that they made to the story, I think, made it even better. I just overall had a really great time watching it. And it was so cool to watch a really amazing comic finally get the adaptation it deserves. So we both had a great time with that. I also recently won an advanced reviewer's copy of the novel Silver Under Nightfall by Rin Chupeco, which I've been super excited to read it for ages ever since I first heard about it because Rin Chupeco is an author whose YA books I read, but I hadn't read anything adult by them. And so Silver Under Nightfall is a novel about a vampire hunter named Remy who lives in a vaguely Victorian-esque fantasy world that also happens to have vampires and he teams up with a pair of alluring vampires in order to uncover a conspiracy and figure out the source of a mysterious plague that's killing people and it was just so good it was there was fantastic fight scenes reminded me a lot of the tv show Castlevania which I'm a big fan of there was some great plot twists and a really good slow burn polyamorous relationship romance between Remy and the two vampires I definitely recommend that one should go read it when it comes out in September because I just thought it was so good and I had such a great time reading it. I've also been reading some 
classic Hellblazer comics by Jamie Delano from the 80s, starring everyone's favorite trash warlock, John Constantine, and his various sometimes awful and sometimes slightly less awful misadventures. Constantine is a character who's sort of a terrible person, and a lot of awful things happen to people who are close to him, but I really enjoy him as a character, and even though the comic gets a little bit wild sometimes and really weird, I've been having a good time reading it. So that is what I have been up to, but this episode is not about any of those things yet, although I think we may end up doing episodes on a couple of them in the future. So somehow this podcast has run for over 20 episodes, and we have not done an episode about witches, and that is a travesty that we are now attempting to amend because we both really love witches. Specifically, we're going to be discussing two novels, The Scapegracers by H.A. Clark and Paybacks a Witch by Lana Harper, which are contemporary fantasy books set in the 21st century, but with the added bonus of some magic. The actual idea for this episode came to me about a year ago because I was at a drag show at my college and someone did a routine to Don't Show by the Pussycat Dolls. And I started to amuse myself by thinking of words you could insert into Don't You Wish Your Girlfriend Was a Freak Like Me instead of freak. And I was like, hey, you could sing the song like Don't You Wish Your Girlfriend Was a Witch Like Me. And then I was like, oh my God, that would be a great episode title. We should do an episode about books about witches who are girlfriends. And then it took us another year to actually get around to doing the episode because we're not very fast paced here at Never the Twins Shall Meet. But yeah, we are here to talk about books about witches who are girlfriends. The first book we're going to be talking about is The Scapegracers by H.A. Clark, which is a young adult urban fantasy novel published in 2020. It's part of a series and the sequel, The Scratch Daughters, will be coming out this fall and we're both super excited because we really enjoyed this book. We will also be discussing spoilers for both of these books, just be warned as we usually do in our episodes. The Scapegracers follows Sideways Pike, who is a loner lesbian teenage witch who is hired by three popular girls from her high school to perform a bit of magic at their Halloween party to just give it a little bit extra spooky vibe. However, when they manage to perform a particularly powerful spell, Sideways finds herself befriended by the three girls as they, as they start a coven, avoid a group of witch hunters, and just generally deal with being teenage girls. The friendship in this book was so good. I really liked that it was a book that was focused around the friendship of teenage girls and that this was a really like strong, powerful part of the book. Sideways is a lesbian and is romantically interested in another girl during the book. But the center of the book is the friendship that she develops with these three kind of queen bee girls who discover that they also have magic and they start a coven together and kind of learn how to be like kick-ass witch girls together. And it's just like such a great idea for a book and I really enjoyed the emphasis on like the strong bonds between teenage girls. Agreed. When I first came up with the idea for this book I was googling books about lesbian witches and I decided that we should do this one for the episode because I'd been meaning to read it for a while but it's not really as much of a straight-up romance as the other book we're going to be talking about. I would say The Scapegracers is literally a book about the magic and power of friendship in that the focus is really on sideways growing friendship with her coven members. I particularly love that they're these sort of popular girls at school that in other kinds of media might like hate sideways or they might be pitted against each other because sideways is kind of weird. She's goth, she's openly gay. She lurks under the bleachers doing spells and people pay her. And the girls that she becomes friends with are popular, they host parties, they date boys. They don't really seem to have anything in common except that they realize that one, they have magic and two, they get along more than they would think they would. And I just like that it kind of takes these characters that like 
might be pitted against each other in other media, like the outcast weirdo girl and the popular girls. And like through the power of magic, they end up becoming friends and like have this close emotional bond. So it's not as much of a romantic book as the other one we're talking about, but I think the heart of the story is still like very focused on relationships and love. It's just platonic love. Yeah, absolutely. I really love the fact that this book does not engage in the girl-on-girl hate that is unfortunately kind of common in other young adult books. I really liked that this is a book that's like, maybe these girls seem really different on the surface, but actually they've got a lot in common. They can become friends. Cliques are fake. Maybe every girl is secretly a little bit weird at heart. Everyone has the potential to be a witch. I really liked it. It reminded me a little bit of the Lost Coast by A.R. Capetta, which is another book that's also literally about the magic of friendship and falling in with a group of unexpected girls that you become friends with and perform magic with. And I just kind of liked that it took the idea of like finding your people can be kind of magical and made it like literally magic. Oh, yeah. I was also thinking it reminded me a little bit of The Lost Coast, which is a book about a girl who moves to California and falls in with a group of girls and non-binary people who do magic and there's a little bit of romance but it's also about like the power of finding people that understand you and you fit in with both on a personal level and on the fact that you all have magic so I don't know the power of friendship is like a cheesy trope but like I really enjoy it especially when it's literal magic and I think it's just that this book is about sideways being kind of this spiky weirdo loner Like she's into magic, she dresses kind of weird, she doesn't care about being popular, but like then she ends up finding by choice friends that she belongs with magically, but also like they click on a personal level. And it was just really fun, like seeing them all become closer and like kind of peeling away like their exteriors and becoming more vulnerable with each other. And I just really liked seeing the book that like The relationship arcs is really about like getting closer with people you care about personally who like have your back and your friends, but like are not necessarily someone you're romantically interested in because that's actually like it's both rare to have like great fantasy books with gay characters, but also I like seeing books where there's like complex, nuanced, interesting friendships. So it pleased me greatly that this is a book about like a teenage lesbian witch who is both unapologetically gay and also has like a lot of really cool friends that she's very close to. Yes, it's really nice. The other three main girls in this book are Jing, who's kind of the queen bee, Daisy, who's sort of the mean one, and Yates, who's the nice one. These are all kind of generalizations, though, because over the course of the book, Sideways kind of gets to know them a lot better and understand that they're all a lot deeper and have more going on than she'd previously given them credit for. Like, Daisy isn't just mean. Yates isn't just like a nice pushover. Jing isn't just like the aloof one in charge. They all have actual depths to themselves, which I liked because I feel like I have read my fair share of young adult novels, both contemporary and fantasy, in which there's like some other characters who are just like weird flat caricatures of like other girls that the main character hates on. And I really liked that in this version, Sideways is like super different from these girls, but like she doesn't hate on them even before they meet. She just thinks they exist in different worlds. And when they get to know each other, it's not like, oh, you're not a bad person. It's like, oh, you just have more in common with me like underneath the surface than I thought you did. Also, I really loved Jing and Sideways in particular because I like characters who can be kind of spiky and mean, but are also very deeply devoted to the people they love. And they very much both fit into that in that Jing is kind of like, you said a little bit aloof, 
a little bit mean, but like she really cares about Yates and Daisy. And when she kind of inducts sideways into this group of friends, you start to see like the softer side of Jing. And I really enjoyed that development. Yeah, I think what I liked about that so much is that it's pretty common to find like male characters in literature who are like, they're kind of assholes, but they actually have a heart of gold. I feel like it's a bit rarer to find female characters like that. So I liked that there were not one, but two female characters in this book who are allowed to be like a little spiky and mean, but also have depth and really care about people in their lives. And I really enjoyed their kind of developing relationship and the way that they're both like a little hesitant to become friends. And then they start to open up, open up with each other more of the course of the book exactly this book does have a plot which involves stuff like witch hunters and demons but it's really more about the developing friendship between these four girls and learning to trust each other and also kind of about the struggles of being a teenage girl in general there's a really great quote said by one of the cup members i don't remember exactly which one about how teenage girls aren't expected to be powerful about how people kind of overlook them and mock them and make fun of things they care about and how by doing magic and becoming these witch the four of them kind of want to subvert these expectations and show that teenage girls can be powerful and they can be meaningful and they can do like real meaningful stuff which I just thought was a really good thing because it is true that like a lot of people don't like teenage girls and this book was like maybe teenage girls like deserve to be kind of like badass and do what they want and do magic and not care about what other people think of them. That was a great speech yeah I think it was Daisy who gives it and She talks about how magic kind of gives them power in a society where they might not have it, where like they're told that they're shallow, that their interests are silly, where like their bodies are policed, where they're not safe, where they have to like grow up being afraid of stuff. But like when they have magic, they feel like they're serious and they have to be taken as powerful. And just the way that it kind of works with like their friendship is kind of what protects them. Like they have each other's backs. They can be vulnerable with each other in the way they can't be with the rest of the world. And the magic is kind of an extent of that because they have to work together to perform magic. And the reason that they initially get together is because Sideways wants the three girls who have hired her to help her like make an even bigger, better spell at the Halloween party. And then by working together, they realize that they're much stronger. So it's like literally their magic and like their proximity and their closeness makes them more powerful together. This is the kind of book in which not like a lot actually happens, at least until the end, but the writing is so good and the characters are so compelling that I think it's a great read anyway, even if it's not action-packed from page to page. I would agree. I would say it's much more about character and atmosphere than like non-stop action and plot twists. But I think that really worked for me personally because I really enjoyed Sideways' voice as a narrator and the friendships that she formed with her coven. And also the atmosphere is great because like it's set around Halloween, so it's very spooky. And it's set in this small town, which is called Sycamore Gorge. Excellent name for a small town, by the way. So you just sort of like learn more about magic and the characters and how their magic functions, rather than like relentlessly having to like hop from like high stakes action scenarios and stuff like that. It's really more like a story in which you are enveloped in the world and the characters and sort of like given time to watch that unfurl. Even if there aren't a lot of plot developments going on, I think there's a strong enough progression of the characters 
and like their relationships with each other and the magic they're trying to discover that I never felt bored reading it. I think I actually read this pretty quickly because I was so compelled by how readable I found the characters. The prose is also really great. There was just like a lot of lines that I thought were like really well described. And I thought that all the characters had very distinct ways of talking. So like it's not a book in which like they're like fighting demons every night and like witch hunters are like going to destroy their town. But like it's still I think a very like compulsively readable book because I was enjoying reading about the characters and their relationships so much. I like when stories put characters first. Like it's good if you're stressed and you need to know how the plot's going to unfurl and the stakes are high and you have to keep turning the page. But like what I really come to stories for is characters that I care about and want to see develop. And I think that by grounding the story in the characters, especially because it's the first book in a series, it has me invested enough in the book to like continue reading that book, but also to continue reading the series. Because once you have like a strong foundation for characters, then you can make terrible things happen to them and stress me out. Exactly. I loved Sideways as a protagonist. She's very prickly and grouchy and she's kind of used to being an unloved loner at school who doesn't have any prickly close friends. And when the three other girls do start befriending her, she's like, friendship? I know how to do magic, not friendship. How do I do any of this? But I just really enjoyed her as a character because she's so prickly on the outside, but she really does like care about other people a lot, actually. And it was really fun to get to see her open up to the other girls and gradually like realize that she has people who have her back and like who want to spend time with her and do magic with her also other characters that i liked in this book were sideways dads because uh, after her birth mom who was a single mom died in a car crash when sideways was really young she was bounced around in foster care a little bit and then adopted by her uncle and his husband and they are these kind of like fun vaguely goth parents who run an antique store like they're very supportive of sideways being a witch I just liked them a lot. I think it's rare to read young adult books in which the parents have a strong role, especially science fiction or fantasy books, which makes sense because it's like hard for your characters to be saving the world and getting in trouble when they have like responsible parents who want them to, I don't know, go to bed on time and finish their homework. But because Sideways has like these supportive parents who like love her, but maybe don't necessarily know everything that's going wrong in her world or the fact that she has started a coven with the popular girls at school. Like they're there in the background and they support her and love her, but they're not like impeding the plot. But I just enjoyed their like setting of like the family living above an old antique store. The fact that they get sideways and like respect her as a weirdo witch who like doesn't really want to spend time being normal and would rather spend time like pawing through dusty books of magic. They were just kind of a fun addition to the book that I enjoyed. I really liked Sideways' dads as well. I think this book could have gone a route where it's like, my parents are really normal and they don't like understand that I'm goth or into magic or that I'm a lesbian. But in this case, it was like, she has two dads and they're like totally chill with her being goth and they like know that she's into witchy stuff and they like buy her old magic books as presents. I also really liked the setting of the old antique store. It was really fun and I liked getting to hear all the stuff that's described in the in the building. So although her dads aren't like integral to the plot, it was nice to read about a character who actually has a decent relationship with her parents in a young adult novel. And I also just liked that she had two dads because that's not like incredibly common in YA novels. And it's just like nice to see these like two gay guys with their adopted daughter like running an antique store and living their best like mildly goth lives. It was just nice. I enjoyed them as characters a lot. 
it's like a much, much chiller version of the Adams family and that they're all kind of goth and kind of weird and love and support each other. But, you know, without the like disembodied hands scuttling around. Although I think that I could imagine Sideways having a disembodied ghost hand following her around. It would sort of fit the vibes of the book. Um, yeah, so that was one aspect that I think we both really liked because having the parents present in the book kind of subverted the idea that like your YA protagonist like has to like not get along with their parents in order to be independent. In this case, it's like her dad's like understand that she's like a teenager but also respect her like ability to like go to do things with her friends and not like worry about her every minute of the day but it is nice to see them in the book when they are around though sideways i would say is also pretty shaped by the death of her mom because she doesn't know her father who her father is and she was raised by her mom for the first couple of years of her life who then died really suddenly in an awful car crash And when we get like kind of the backstory chapter on Sideways of how she got into magic and how she ended up in Sycamore Gorge, you really see that her mom's death has affected her because her grief didn't just kind of result in her being sad all the time or her being afraid of getting close to people. It's kind of what led her to be like lashing out at people because when she was a kid, she was like, this doesn't make sense. Like everything was fine. And then my mother was taken away from me. Why should I be fine? Things, bad things can just happen to you any moment. And she sort of like stopped following the rules and became like a bit of a bad girl. And that's sort of the origin for her being a bit of an outcast because I think even if she has two loving parents and like her dads love her and she is pretty happy now, I think the death of her mom and just the fact that like it was very sudden has a big effect on her. So I think it kind of balanced a lot of people in young adult books have dead parents because you have to get the parents out of the way for the plot. But also it's nice to see like living parents who are kind of interesting and supportive of the character and that's sort of both present in this book. Yeah, that's true. I liked that it could kind of do both. Sideways's mom's death is also involved in how she got into magic because when she was in the foster system after her mom died she received this like mysterious package that was addressed to directly to her but had no return address and it turned out to be a grimoire of spells which is how she finally got into magic and started teaching herself how to do it and in fact like cast a spell to like see if she had any living family left in the world then like got a phone call about her uncle a few days later so Sideways' like, discovery of magic kind of ties into like the loss of her mother and she kind of like threw herself into magic for a while to like sort of compensate for that, which I think was kind of interesting. Like you said, there aren't a lot of books that have like the dead parents and the main character has a good relationship with their parents. So I thought it was interesting that this book managed to do both while also kind of tying Sideways' interest in magic into her mother's death. It also adds a little bit of mystery because you're like, who did send her the book? Like she was in foster care. No one even knew she was there. I think it's also very telling about Sideways that magic is linked to both of sort of the most important relationships in her life, which are with her coven and with her dads, because like you said, she casts a spell because she's like looking for relatives and then her dads find her and adopt her. And then because she's casting a spell at the Halloween party, she ends up becoming friends with the three girls starting coven with them. So it's interesting to me that Sideways' magic isn't just like a tool. It's not just, I want this thing done, so I will do X, Y, Z, and the outcome will be this thing. It's like her magic is very much about nudging you towards important relationships in your life. And it makes it feel sort of like this innate force. Like it is something that she has to follow instructions for. She has a book of magic. You have to perform rituals. Like 
they draw chalk things, they have words they have to say, but also it's something that is very visceral and comes from inside her and it's as much a part of her as her soul. So it's interesting to me that her magic also sort of calls out to people and draws her closer to them because she is someone who kind of takes pride in being a loner and is like, I don't need to be popular. I don't need to be liked. I don't need to have like friends all the time. I have my dad's, I have my antique store, I have my book of magic, but also I think her magic is kind of a part of her that like reaches out and wants human connection and companionship because that's how she ends up starting her coven. And that was originally how she found her dad's. So it's sort of like the magic kind of knows what sideways needs, which is people who love her. And even though her magic is part of her, I think it also sort of subconsciously reaches out and like forms connections that she needs in her life. That's a really interesting way of looking at it. I think it ties into kind of the way that magic is generally portrayed in this book, which is it's something that comes from inside you. Uh, and like you're either a witch or you aren't. And it just like happens to be that the other girls that Sideways cast the spell with are witches. And it has rules, but it's also something that's very flexible and innate. Like Sideways will start performing a spell and she will perform it like as it's listed in the grammar, but she'll also do it in a way that just like feels right. Like somehow doing it this way feels correct, which I thought was a really good way of doing magic. I enjoy when a magic has like, rules and laws and a system like you can do this thing but you can't do this thing or if you do this thing there'll be a cost but I also really like it when magic is kind of like this innate force that's like a little bit flexible and like it can do like things that you wouldn't expect it to so the idea of magic kind of drawing sideways two important people in her life I think kind of ties in with that. I was actually thinking that the way that magic functions in this reminded me a little bit of Diana Wynne Jones's books because I read a lot of Diana Wynne Jones when I was a kid and her work is like very formative for me understanding fantasy fiction and she often has this thing where there are rules and there are correct ways people are supposed to do magic but there's also the way that people themselves individually do magic which sometimes means following steps and sometimes means like following your heart and just kind of imposing your willpower on the world to do what you want and particularly I was thinking about her book Witch Week which I haven't read for a very long time, but I'm going to go on a slight tangent because we can. Witch Week is a book about some British school children who exist in a world where being a witch is like really bad and you can get burned at stake if you're a witch. And someone starts a rumor going around the class that someone in the class is a witch, but because it's a book that bounces around from perspective to perspective of like all the students in the class, we learn that they're all actually witches. Every person is afraid that they are going to be the one who's outed as a witch. And I was just thinking about when I was reading it because it's a book about being kind of an outsider and being weird and then discovering people who connect with you on like a level where you understand each other and you're like, oh, like there's something that's the same inside of us. But also I think Witch Week is a book that's a metaphor for being gay. And also The Scapegracers is kind of like Witch Week because it's a book about being like a weirdo outcast and then magic connects you with people. And I was just kind of thinking about how what I like about the scapegracers is also what I like about Witch Week, in which the magic isn't just a tool. It's very central to how characters understand themselves and how they form relationships. And it's like two characters having magic is sort of a deeper way of them connecting because they're like, oh, okay, that means I understand you on a level that like I didn't before. And I just like it when magic is like an integral part of characters and not just steps that they follow in a book. This is a good tangent. I approve of this tangent. Witch Week is an excellent book. I really should reread that sometime. I do agree that I think this has a lot of similarities to 
witch week in that it has the idea of magic being like things that connect people and I wouldn't be shocked if the author of the book has read Witch Week. I feel like there's definitely some similarities in the way like the community comes together and they're like, I'm a witch and you're also a witch and somehow magic feels like right and it's like drawing us together even if there are maybe forces who are trying to pull us apart. It's such a good book. I also do very much agree that I think Witch Week does read like an allegory for queerness because there's like, you think you were alone and you think that like maybe society is telling you to be like, telling you that like who you are is a bad thing, but then you like gain a community and you realize there are other people like you and that it's not actually bad to be what you are. But with the case of scapegracers, they're both witches and queer girls, like stated on the page. And I'm not particularly saying that Witch Week was intentionally written as a book about a metaphor for being gay, because Diana Wynne Jones often writes about characters who are outsiders or survivors of abuse and stuff. And she also writes about characters who are often either directly or or allegorically have some kind of learning disability, like characters who kind of read as having autism or dyslexia. So oftentimes like characters are sort of set apart from society because of that. I just personally think that Witch Week in particular reads the book about being gay. Like, I don't think that was necessarily the intention, but like reading it through my like 2022 lens that's just how I read it and I think like that's why I was kind of thinking about it in relation to the scapegracers because the scapegracers is a book about being kind of an outsider in high school and then secretly finding out that other people share a part of your identity that's very personal to who you are but also kind of sets you apart from others and then realizing that like you connect on that way with someone you might not have realized was like you And I mean that in both a magical sense and the fact that Sideways is a lesbian and the other girls that she starts coven with are also like bisexual and I think also generally queer. Yeah, I think one of them is straight and then the two other of them identify as queer, which is not something that Sideways knew when she met them. It's something that they kind of like get to know about each other over the course of the book and then they like go to a gay bar together and like hype each other up as like wing women for dating, which is, it was really cute. I really enjoyed like the developing friendship then being like, we're not just witches, we're like witches and we're queer girls. We have these two things in common. The plot of Scapegracers overall is mostly about Sideways Jing, Daisy, and Yates forming their own coven and searching for a way to teach themselves more magic, while also tangling with a group of witch hunters that they encounter and a mysterious new girl called Madeline who comes to town that Sideways has a bit of a romance with. The villains in this are not super developed because the witch hunters are only present for a couple scenes, but they're pretty compelling and memorable scenes when they are there. They very much read like born-again Christian witch hunters who kind of believe they have to take away people's magic for their own good. They're kind of creepy, but they're not actually in the book a ton. But I felt like when they were in there, they made an impact. Like there's a section where they kidnap sideways and it's kind of horrifying because like they've kidnapped like this random girl from a party and they keep being like, we know what's best for you. You'll be happier when you don't have magic. We've done this to so many other girls and they've been so grateful to us afterwards. And it's just like really unsettling and they're just like very unpleasant people to be around so those are kind of the main villains of the book and I get the sense that they will definitely reappear in sequels and the girls may end up tangling with other groups of witch hunters as well as soon as they were introduced in the book having like super biblical names I was like "Uh uh-oh witch hunter alert ding 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 because I don't know that just somehow set off my like oh these people are witch hunters probably because I'd been studying the Salem witch trials in one of my college classes a couple months ago I think you're right about them not being in the book that much, but I think when they are in the book, it makes a big impact because they immediately are kind of notified when Sideways and her coven perform that really big spell at a Halloween party and they seek the girls out. 
and kidnapped sideways. And she manages to escape, but it's like kind of a reminder hanging over the rest of the book that being a witch is fun in some ways and it gives them lots of power and it makes them feel good and it makes them create friendships they wouldn't otherwise have had. But there are also people out there who hate them for who they are and think they know best and think that what's best is taking away like a very personal innate part of you and making you like dull and gray and possibly leading to your death. So the fact that Sideways and her coven are sort of having fun, getting to know each other and doing spells, feeling good about themselves, but also they like hanging over the whole book is the threat of the witch hunters. They don't really know where they are, but like they're out there somewhere. And every time they perform magic, it's a risk that they could be found again. I think the fact that the witch hunters are also all like young white guys facing off against a coven of teenage girls who are queer and people of color kind of adds another layer to the witch hunters. Like they're just very unpleasant people. And like the visuals of like these like six white guys facing uh, uh, facing off against this coven of girls who are marginalized in some way, I think kind of hammered home the fact that these like are really dangerous people. And so Sideways does manage to outwit them and she gets away from them before they can get rid of her magic. But like they know they're out there for the rest of the book and they end up encountering like some other witches who warn them about the danger of witch hunters. I would not be shocked if a plot point in one of the future sequels is about like the girls trying to get some more revenge on them because they cast some like nasty curses on the witch hunters. I was like kind of cheering along that part and I was like, hell yeah, he deserves that. Curse him. But I, I would kind of love it if they did more because those guys were really unpleasant. Other stuff I liked about the magic in this was the sentient spell books because when Sideways and her coven are trying to learn more about magic and protect themselves more, they end up kind of breaking into this center for witches. It's like a restaurant, but then there's a magical library attached to it and they end up sneaking in because they want to go steal some of the books of magic. And one of the books is like, "Uh oh, I can tell that you haven't finished the books that come before me. You can't take like volume five without taking volumes two through four. And I, I just really enjoy books that talk because uh, I'm in a D&D game where one of the primary NPCs is an evil book of magic. So it was kind of fun encountering that in this book. We only get a couple hints about covens outside of Sideways One because they're in a very small isolated town that has this sort of weird magic restaurant slash library on the outskirts of the town that they sneak into once. But there is sort of a sense that there's a broader world of magic out there and other covens and other sources of magic, which I would definitely be interested in seeing expanded on the sequels. I also really enjoyed the sentient spellbook. It was really funny when Sideways has one spellbook and they try to go get some other ones and like they try to maybe steal them or at least learn some magic and they open up the book and instead of the spell it's like uh uh I know you're not supposed to be reading this put me away until you finish mastering the other spells which was very funny. Sideways was kind of annoyed about it but I thought it was great. I liked the idea of a spellbook that can like tell if you haven't done your homework. I thought that was funny. I would definitely like to learn more about the larger covens and like the rest of the world of witches and witch hunters you get a bit more of an explanation about it later on in the book and it's pretty clear like there's a history of witches and witch hunters throughout the world there's a history of covens but you only meet a couple other witches who aren't the four main girls in the book and i really hope we get to see more of them later in it because the hints that we do get of the wider world are really compelling also there's a great demon character because when they're trying to learn more about magic and they have snuck into the restaurant slash library slash witch haven, they end up encountering this demon called Mr. Scratch. And he is from a former spell book that was burned by witch hunters when they were destroying a coven. 
and that turned him into a demon, which is kind of a cool concept because he's sort of an ink demon and he ends up residing on Sideways' skin as a tattoo. I was really suspicious of him at first because hello, demon. Also, his name is Mr. Scratch and that's a whole euphemism for the devil. And I was like, I am very worried about these girls. I do not think you should be putting a demon tattoo on your body, even though I can't actually argue because my current D&D character has a tattoo from an evil book of magic. So do as I say, not as I do. But I was very worried about that. But it seems like he might be more of a protective force for the coven because he was kind of left languishing in the archives without a coven. And now that he has one, he's very protective of them and doesn't want to see them come to the same fate as his prior coven. So perhaps he's not that evil. We'll see. I also kind of thought Mr. Scratch was going to be evil because he's a demon and he's called, as you said, Mr. Scratch. But then he ends up becoming this like weird like guardian slash mentor character who gives advice to the girls and tries to look out for them and tries to stop Sideways from getting into problems. And I actually really ended up enjoying him. It does make sense, I think, that he's not evil, at least yet, because he really regrets that he wasn't able to save his coven from the witch hunters because he was burned and lost a lot of his power as a result of that. And he's like, I'm going to protect these girls. I'm going to teach them what they need to know. I'll help them stay away from witch hunters. I will help Sideways and give her advice, which she will not listen to and then regret not listening to later. But I thought he was generally a fun character. And the idea of a sentient spillbook that's like been burned and lost its coven and lost its purpose in life and instead become a demon is like a really fun and unique concept. And I hope maybe we get to like meet some other demons in the sequels and see if that's like a common thing or what other demons are like. But I assume Mr. Scratch will be an important character in the sequel because it's called the Scratch Daughters. So I guess we'll be seeing more of him later. Also speaking of the sequel, and things we want to see in it. I really hope that Sideways get a, gets a girlfriend who isn't secretly manipulating her because I think she deserves it. She because, does. Because like there is this whole big focus on friendship and community and sisterhood among the covens and Sideways becoming friends with Yates and Jing and Daisy. But I think it would be nice for Sideways to get a love interest who doesn't have super suspicious ulterior motives, which is what ended up happening in this book, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately, at the beginning of the book, one of the girls that she ropes in to do a spell is new in town and called Madeline. And over the course of the book, Madeline doesn't join their coven, but Sideways like has a bit of a crush on her and flirts with her and they go on a couple dates and they do get together. And then at the end of the book, it's revealed that Madeline is actually one of the ex-girlfriends of one of the witch hunters that was chasing down Sideways. And she wasn't able to escape them before one of them stole her magic. And so at the end of the book, Madeline's steals sideways magic which was a terrible thing to do i was so bad when i realized what she was doing so it kind of turns out that madeline did somewhat like sideways as a person but her actual motive in like befriending her and going on dates with her was to secretly get her alone so she could conduct a ritual where she could steal her magic and then use it to get revenge against the witch hunters which i feel like i i sort of predicted there was something up with madeline because she wasn't quite in the book enough for them to develop a proper romance so i sort of felt like there must have been something else going on with the character other than a straight-up romance and then at the end she just rips sideways magic straight out of her body and sideways would be totally about magic except that she has the help of mr scratch and it was just like a really shocking ending to the book then it just like ends and you're like sideways has no magic the witnesses are out there madeline stole from her what's gonna happen now it is a pretty shocking ending for the first book in the series because 
over the course of the first book, you, you really learn to see that magic is something that's part of Sideways. She's grown up with it. It's shaped her entire life since she started doing it. And then Madeline just takes all of it. But also I did feel kind of bad for Madeline because it's established that witch hunters who take witches' magic, that can be fatal. And I think Madeline, it's not good to kill someone else in the place of you, but it wasn't like she was just doing it for fun. I think she was doing it out of desperation and in survival mode. But also I thought it was a little bit realistic that Sideways was a little blinded by having a crush on Madeline because me as the reader, I was like, mm, this girl seems a little suspicious. I don't know if I trust her, but you know, Sideways might be pretty smart and she might have her fellow coven members to back her up and a book of magic, but she is also still kind of a teenager who can be blinded by a crush. So I thought it made sense that she didn't necessarily pick up on everything sketchy about Madeline because sometimes when you're a teenager, you're not that smart all the time. Yeah, I sympathize with Madeline because I'm sure that dating a guy who turns out to be a witch hunter who then steals your magic must suck, but the solution to that problem is not to go seduce someone else and steal their magic. And by the end of the book, the other members of the coven, like, they have it out for Madeline. If they see her again, things are not going to go well. So we don't know exactly what will happen in the sequels, but I'm sure they'll end up meeting Madeline and the witch hunters again. And uh, considering how angry they are at her at the end, I don't think things are going to go well for either of those groups. Well, I am excited to see how it goes. I'm very excited for the sequels to this book. I think there's supposed to be two, and I, for one, can't wait to see more of the witch girl gang and what they get up to. I am really excited to see, like, what mischief they can get up to now that they have a demon on their side. I want to know if Sideways gets her magic back. I, I really hope that this book continues developing kind of the theme of the importance of, like, female friendship and community, because... That was just something that I really enjoyed in this book. There are so many urban fantasy books and I feel like not all of them have an emphasis on friendship and community. And that was just something that I really liked about it. Agreed. Like it's not a super short book, but I really tore through it and I was really invested in the characters by the end. And I think there's lots of interesting places that the sequels could go. And I'm very curious to see kind of more of the broader magical world outside of these four girls in their coven. So I am very excited for the Scratch Daughters to come out this fall because I will be reading it very soon. So the second book that we're going to be talking about is Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper, which is an adult urban fantasy romance novel published in 2021, which coincidentally also takes place in the Midwest. This was not like planned, but uh, The Scapegrazers takes place in Ohio and Payback's a Witch takes place in Illinois. And I swear this was just totally by accident. Anyway, so Lana Harper has published some YA fantasy novels as Lana Popovic, which I shamefully have not read yet but I would like to now but this is the first book by her I read. It follows Emmy Harlow, a witch who has left her tiny town of Thistle Grove. Thistle Grove is also a great name for a magic town I feel like uh, because she was tired of always being defined by her family's magical heritage and especially because she's not a very powerful witch but also partially because of a very bad breakup with another witch Gareth Blackmore. In Thistle Grove, there are several families of witches, the Harlows, the Blackmores, the Thorns, and the Avramovs, and they all secretly practice magic. To outsiders who come to Thistle Grove, it seems kind of like a quaint little tourist town that does like a lot of Halloween themed events, and they have like a Renaissance fair and an orchard. But in reality, there's actually these groups of witches who are practicing magic right under their noses, which is kind of a fun idea. The Blackmores are the most powerful family in the town, and after a very bad breakup with Gareth in high school, Emmy really didn't want to stay in Thistle Grove, so she left 
and left behind her magic and ended up going to Chicago to start a career with a normal human job. The Harlows are the least powerful magical family in Thistle Grove, and Gareth made Emmy feel like she'd always be defined by that because he essentially dumped her by being like, I can't date like someone like you in the long term. I need someone who's more powerful and who can really like become a Blackmore and stand by that side by my side. And Emmy was like, you know what? I'm tired of being defined as kind of at the lowest rung in the social hierarchy of the magical community in this town. I am leaving. And the thing about Thistle Grove is that people get their magic from being in Thistle Grove. It's kind of linked to the specific location. So by leaving to go to Chicago, Emmy has given up what little magic she had to begin with. And she is fine with that at the start of the book, except then she gets called back to Thistle Grove after almost a decade away, away because her family is helping to be the arbiters of a spellcasting tournament that happens once every 90 years, I want to say. Anyway. Uh, I don't think it's 90. It's every few decades, at least. The last yeah. winner is still alive in the book. It's a spellcasting tournament called the Gauntlet that all four of the families participate in. But the Harlows specifically are like the arbiters who make sure people are doing what they're supposed to be and like award the winners. And they like are in charge of the challenges. And as the eldest daughter of the family, Emmy has to go back and be the arbiter, even though she hasn't set foot in Thistle Grove in years. So the gauntlet is a series of magical challenges that all the families compete in, but also it kind of defines who will be the most powerful family in Thistle Grove until the next gauntlet. And the Blackmores have consistently been winning and 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 winning. So when Emmy comes back to town, she's just like, well, I guess the Blackmores will win and I will go back to my nice, unmagical life in Chicago and continue my existence without being a witch. Except her first night back in town, she learns that her really terrible ex, Gareth, had recently been two-timing her best friend, Lyndon Thorne, and another witch, Talia Afimov. And Emmy and the other witches decide to team up to win the tournament and to stop the Blackmore monopoly on Magic and Thistle Grove and also to just get some personal revenge on Gareth. However, as she helps arbitrate the magical contest, Emmy also finds herself falling for Talia Avramov and kind of questioning whether she really will go back to Chicago at the end of the gauntlet. I really love the idea of a plot that has three witches teaming up to humiliate their horrible ex-boyfriend. It's just such a fun idea. And Gareth is kind of an awful person. He absolutely deserves to get humiliated. After I read him in one scene, I was so ready for him to get completely wrecked by these three girls. When Emmy gets back to town for the first time after a decade away, he doesn't actually recognize her because she looks really different than she did in high school and has been, hasn't been back in so long. And he hits on her at a bar, like this really cringy and sleazy way. And by the end of the scene, I was like, oh my God, I hate this man. He's the worst. And then in the scenes after that, Emmy talks to her friend Lyndon and discovers that Gareth had been seeing her, but also secretly seeing Talia and had thought he would get away with it, except that someone else discovered it. So like, not only was he bad to Emmy, he was bad to her friend and another witch. So you're just like, oh my God, wreck him, wreck him. And it's, a, it's such a fun setup for a book. It is. It's kind of the driving force behind the plot, which is that the Blackmores are really powerful and they haven't been winning because they've been cheating. They've been winning fair and square. So by teaming up against him, they're hoping that they can sort of end the Blackmore reign over Thistle Grove. But that means that they have to actually win the challenges, which no one can prepare for in advance and kind of test all your magical abilities. So that's sort of a framing of the narrative and those are the stakes that propel it forward. But also there's kind of a more personal struggle happening in which Emmy realizes that she actually has missed being home and 
she likes seeing her family and likes revisiting all of her old haunts in Thistle Grove. And she's also falling for Talia, except that she has told herself that she won't be happy if she stays in Thistle Grove and she's planning on going back to Chicago, but starts to question whether she can actually follow that plan once the gauntlet is over. I really, really liked the setting of Thistle Grove in this book. It's really beautifully described and there are so many like fun, unique locations that I would love to visit if they were real. There's places like the bookstore that Emmy's parents own that like secretly has a section that sells magical books or the orchard that the Thorne family runs would have like really good sounding food and like apples and pretty trees or like the ancestral manor of the Avramoths, which is this like kind of spooky haunted gothic mansion in the forest. There's just a lot of really fun locations and it just has a really great autumn magical vibe to the whole book. It's also a very Halloween-y book like The Scapegracers which is funny because we read them like dead in the middle of the summer but if you want some recommendations for a good book to read around Halloween I think either of these books would work great. So like we said there are four different families who practice magic in Thistle Grove and they all practice slightly different versions of magic. So the Thorns who are descended from Irish Druids have magic related to animals and plants. They can grow plants, they can make their plants talk, they can kind of make animals do what they want. The Blackmoors, who are the most powerful, are supposedly descended from Morgan Le Fay, like from King Arthur, and their magic is that they can manipulate the elements, like ice or fire. The Avramovs claim to be descended from Baba Yaga, the Russian witch from fairy tales, and they do necromancy magic related to ghosts and dead people. And then the Harlows are just kind of the ones who mine the spell books and take notes on the history of the town and don't really have a particular specialty for magic. I was kind of curious, like when I was reading this, if there were indigenous magical families in the area, because this is set in America. So presumably there are indigenous people from the area of Thistle Grove, but that might have been like outside the kind of range and expertise of this specific book to explore. So that's not really touched on in this one, but because a lot of their magic comes from specific heritage familial lines like Ireland and Russia and King Arthur isn't really a country but you know it's a specific mythology. I was a little curious like what other cultures there might be magical families from but it's basically these four and they don't really intermarry but when someone marries into the family they get magic which I thought was quite interesting and I'm very curious how that works like if you marry into the Blackmoors and then you divorce a Blackmoor do you still have magic? I have questions about this. That is actually a good question that I had not considered about the, if you divorce a Blackmore, do you still have magic? I was also curious if this was going to explore any other families with magic, but it doesn't really, it seems like there are like other people with magic out there in the world, but it's mostly focused on Thistle Grove and the location is really important to the magic. Like if you leave the town lines, then your powers slowly start fading and magic only exists because of this like one magical lake that's like up in the hills near their town so when emmy left to go to college her magic started slowly fading but because she wasn't never a very powerful witch in the first place and she just like really wanted to get out of there and not do with gareth or her family legacy anymore she kind of told herself it was worth it and that she'd rather have a normal human life on her own terms than live a magical life which is kind of always defined as being like the harlow and when she gets back to thistle grove she kind of starts to remember all of the things that she actually really loves there like her family or her best friend Lyndon 
or her family's store or the fact that she's kind of developing a romance with Talia and starts to question like do I want to live a life away from like all of these things that I actually do love like is it worth it trying to strike out on my own if there are still things back here that I care about which I thought was actually a pretty good conflict it felt realistic it wasn't like just like I don't want to be here because of my ex-boyfriend it's also like my family legacy can be kind of a burden but it's also my family and I love them and like do I want to leave that behind the whole the whole time in my entire life right I also appreciated that it wasn't just like I had a bad breakup so then I left my hometown for a decade because I hate my ex-boyfriend it was more like the way that he broke up with her tied into every insecurity about the seemingly unchangeable magical hierarchy of the town and she was like well if this guy who claims to have loved me and made me feel special says that he can't look past the fact that my family isn't magically powerful then I guess I just don't want to deal with being Harlow anymore and she left so in a way Gareth is an important driving figure for the story but also he just sort of exacerbated all of her existing insecurities about like the existence of magic and her place in a magical world so getting revenge on him is personal and related to her romantic history, but also it's kind of about proving that the magical hierarchy in the town can change and the Blackmoors don't always have to be the most powerful and the Harlows can do something besides just stand on the sidelines. So I think the fact that it ties into the larger world building and the way that magic functions made it feel more believable because, you know, if Emmy had really loved her town and she had loved doing magic, it would have felt a little bit forced that one breakup at the end of high school made her move away and never come back. But the fact that it made her sort of realize that she actually hated the way that magic functioned in her town and just didn't want to live like that makes it seem more realistic to me. I really liked that this is a romance novel with like a very strong emphasis on a really good romance plot, but the magic world building is also super well thought out. I loved the fact that each family in the town has their own kind of specialty magic and you get to see all these cool things they can do with it. Like there's a lot of scenes of Avramov's doing like necromancy and ghost magic because Talia is the love interest. And I just thought it was really fun that like the author clearly sat down and was like, each family like can do this kind of magic and like what kind of cool stuff could they do with that and how could they win the gauntlet? Even Emmy, although she's the arbiter and therefore doesn't actually participate in any of the events, like still gets kind of powerful magic from being part of the gauntlet and kind of like knows a lot more about the town and like kind of is more connected to the land. I just really liked the way Badik was described in this. It was just very fun and unique and it fits so well with like the autumn vibes and the magical contest. It just all fit together really well. It's also fun that everyone faces the same challenge at the same time and they don't know what it is in advance, but then you all see the different strategies that people come up with and the different types of magic that they tap into. So the Thorns will solve a problem differently than the Blackmoors, who will solve a problem differently than the Avermobs, even though they're all trying to tackle the same challenge. So that was kind of fun. Like, I genuinely enjoyed the competition scenes, and they didn't just feel like rote magical stuff. It felt like it was propelling the story along, and it was also just fun to see the different magical solutions people came up with. As the person who's in charge of kind of orchestrating the gauntlet and making sure people don't cheat and like starting and finishing the events, Emmy also is aware of loopholes, such as the fact that the rules of the gauntlet don't explicitly say that people that people can't work together to either win or make sure that someone else doesn't win. So Rowan Thorne, who's the older brother of her friend Lyndon, who has cheated on, and Talia end up combining their powers, even though they have totally different ways of working together in order to beat Gareth. Like 
there's this one fun gauntlet that's a race where they have to like go across a lake and get a magical item first and like one of them is flying and one of them is like swimming through the water with some fish and one of them is like summoning ice to cover the lake and it's just kind of really fun to see how the authors like thought out all of the ways these different families would approach solving magical problems and how they could combine their powers in order to beat Gareth. So like the gauntlet scenes don't just kind of feel like something the author was like had to insert for the plot. It feels like something that's like very fun and fresh to read about. The romance is also another great aspect of this book that I really enjoyed. The romance in this is so good. I really liked Talia Avramov as a character because she's kind of the goth bad boy love interest for the heart of gold, but she's a girl instead, which I don't think is like as common. Like when Emmy comes back to town, she hasn't seen Talia in a while, but they knew each other in high school. And Talia had a reputation as kind of being like this spooky necromancer girl who was also like a heartbreaker and like had like a different girlfriend every week. It was kind of a scary badass because the Avramovs are like into necromancy and talking to ghosts and then they kind of get to know each other a bit more and start flirting and Talia has like a a bit more depth and she like cares about her family a lot and she's just like a very fun character. I enjoyed her scenes with Emmy a lot. The scenes with the Avramov family were also pretty fun. They live in this big spooky mansion. They have a haunted woods outside where the ghosts roam and stuff and it's very different from the Harlow family who live in a normal house and run a bookshop and are not supposedly descended from a Russian witch who lived in a house with chicken legs. So I just sort of like the little bits of like Russian folklore that popped up in Talia's family. And also you can't go wrong with some good necromancers. We've done an episode on necromancy and we are big fans of fantasy books about raising the dead and all the ethical questions that come with it. Mm -hmm. I also really liked that the two main characters of this book are both bi and really confident in their sexuality. Both Talia and Emmy have been out as bi since high school and their sexualities aren't like a problem or a barrier at all to their relationship. Everyone in Thistle Grove is totally chill with them dating each other, which I just thought was really refreshing. It's nice to read a book where like the conflict is like the wizards must help defeat the bad guy, not just like what if I can't tell my parents I have a girlfriend. Like I think those stories are worth telling but also it's just nice sometimes to read about two witches who are also girlfriends right and the fact that the main character feeling alienated from her small midwestern town isn't because of her sexuality it's just because of the magic stuff is a route that i liked that the story took yeah i just thought the romance in this was great talia and emmy have really good chemistry i love reading their interactions and like pretty early on i was being like kiss i want you to kiss already i want you to get together this is so good they had like really good tension i think this book also managed to do something that i often find annoying in romance novels in a way that i actually liked because a lot of romance novels have a third act breakup in which the characters get together are together for a while break up dramatically over some conflict, resolve the conflict, and get back together and have a happy ending. Which, you know, that has to happen in in most romance novels in order to cause some amount of drama because it can't just be smooth sailing. But I think I mentioned this in our Historical Wizards episode. I'm not always a huge fan of some third act breakups because they can feel very forced. But I thought in the case of Payback's a Witch, it felt very realistic and made a lot of sense with the issues that the two characters have brought to their relationship. Because Emmy, as we've talked about, like doesn't really want to be involved with the witch life in Thistle Grove at the start of the book. And she wants to go back to her regular life in Chicago. Whereas Talia has like super strong bonds with her family and siblings and like would never imagine leaving Thistle Grove forever and had a previous relationship that ended kind of badly because her girlfriend didn't really understand her like 
important need to stay home. And so these conflicts kind of end up coming to a head and the characters have like a fight about it and then are eventually able to resolve their issues. And I thought it made a lot of sense. And like, it wasn't one of those breakups where I was like, oh my God, just talk to each other. It was like, this is a legit conflict that I can see it happening. And I can also see them resolving it in a way that feels natural. It's funny, two of the romance novels where I felt like the third act breakup worked well was because they were essentially fantasy novels with a really strong romantic subplot, which is this one and A Marvelous Light by Freya Marsk. And I think it's because as someone who doesn't read a ton of romance all the time, I enjoyed having like an extra stressor on their relationship, which is all of the magic stuff and all of the world building stuff and not just like personal drama because it's not just like, oh, I don't know if I want to move back to my small town. I might want to go back to the big city. Like there's a whole magical layer to that. And I think that is why it made it feel believable for me that like the characters end up having this temporary breakup and like it feels like a good point at which like their conflict has sort of reached a boiling point and things have to be addressed. Though I have to say I was surprised there wasn't any conflict about two people from the same magical family dating each other. This might be explored more in sequels or something but I was surprised there wasn't any rules about for instance Avramov's and Harlow's not marrying each other because I was like at a certain point if you're living in a small town and all these families keep marrying each other you're only going to have one big magical family instead of four ones so I'm curious if like in the past that's ever been a problem or not because it seems like most people who marry into the magical families are non-magical people from outside of Thistlegrove who develop magic via marriage which is something that I'm really intrigued to see explored more in sequels hopefully but I am just curious like is it a problem that like they could eventually just be one large family instead of four ones if people keep dating each other at this rate? I mean, they do seem to be pretty large families. Like we definitely haven't met everyone in each family. And like Emmy's mom is like not from Thistle Grove and moved there when she married her dad. So I feel like it's like maybe not something you're supposed to worry about that much because maybe this book just wanted to have a kind of golf necromancer love interest without worrying too much about wizard intermarriage. That's so fair. I was just wondering about that. That might be addressed in the sequels. But yes, I did really, really enjoy Talia as a character. And I thought that she and Emmy had really good chemistry, both emotionally and physically. And I was just like rooting for their relationship. And it was just fun seeing them like grow closer outside of just working together and being like, oh no, we are falling for each other. That was just very enjoyable. I maintain that characters being in cahoots together is a really good way to develop a romance because you have like a goal you're working towards together and you like have something you want to accomplish and then you like start to appreciate like what the other person is bringing to the table and then you're like, actually they're kind of hot. So I think it works pretty well. Absolutely. Best relationship status in cahoots. We will be discussing this in future romance novel episodes. Very possibly. I thought the gauntlet challenges in this were also, they kind of felt very fresh and interesting. There's like a magical race, there's like solving clues to find a magical objects, fighting monsters made out of plants. They felt like very fun and unique scenes and not just like wrote like magical combat onto the next scene. So I just thought that was a, a good way of setting up a plot in the book that also was fun to read about. Cause like you really do want either Talia or Rowan to win the tournament so they can like knock Gareth down a few pegs and like make sure the Blackmores don't have total control over the town. So it feels like it integrated the, the plot with the romance really well. It never felt to me like one overwhelmed the other one too much. Agreed. I think you just can't go wrong with a good magical tournament every now and then. That's just my opinion as a fantasy reader. 
Also, I'm going to be honest, I know that the Blackmores are the villains of this book, but I would visit their ugly King Arthur Renaissance fair theme and restaurant in a heartbeat. It sounded so tacky and so ugly, but also I love King Arthur and I love Renaissance fair, so I would 100% visit it if it was real. Oh no, I was also thinking that because sort of another subplot throughout this book is that the Blackmores are kind of forming not only a monopoly on magic in town, but also on tourism. And like the other businesses are sort of suffering because they have this really big Camelot themed restaurant renaissance fair, like you said, and it's supposed to be bad and they're supposed to be eating up all the local tourism businesses. However, I would probably go to it. This makes me a traitor to the protagonist of this book, but I think it would be fun. I would still go to the magic bookstore though. I don't think you have to go to one location in the magic tourist place, but I probably would go to the Renaissance Fair restaurant, I am sorry to say. Oh yeah, I mean, all the locations in this book sound fun. Each of the families has like their own kind of like tourist trap place that they kind of like fuel using magic in order to make it really cool. The Avramovs have like a haunted house, the Harlows have their bookstore, the Thorns have an orchard, and the Blackmores have their Renaissance Fair restaurant, which was incredibly tacky sounding, but also really fun, honestly. I'm excited to read the sequels. It's part of a three book series, each focusing on a different family. And I think the second one is about Talia's younger sister. And then the next one is about Gareth's younger sister. And they sound fun. I thought this was like a quick, easy read with some good magic and a well-developed romance. So I will definitely be picking up the sequels. I actually already read the sequel, which is called From Bad to Cursed, and is about Talia's younger sister, Isadora, who is also similarly goth and into necromancy and also summons demons. And she has to team up with Rowan Thorne, her arch nemesis, due to some events that happened several years before the book happening, in order to discover like who is behind a series of, of mysterious curses that have been affecting witches in town. I really enjoyed it. It had more of the great setting and the fun magic, and it had like a really delightful like enemies to reluctant allies to friends to lovers romance. And I loved getting to see more of the Avermal family. I have not read the third book yet because it's not out, but I am intrigued about how it will possibly make the Blackmore family like likable in any way, but I trust this author because I liked the first two books so much. Well, that's good to hear that you liked it because we usually share opinions on literature, which is why we run a podcast about books together. Mm -hmm. I maybe should have waited to read it a little bit longer because the third book isn't out yet, but I just really wanted to read it because it sounded fun. And then it was. That's the conundrum of a reader. Do you wait a little longer or do you read them all and then wait and then suffer because cliffhangers? Not that romance novel series tend to have cliffhangers, I guess. No, that's what I like about romance novel series. I enjoy that you can read like a series of interconnected books, but each one has like a totally wrapped up plot and character arc. And then you can move on to the next one and have fun reading that as well. I think it can be very satisfying when I'm not in the mood to be reading like the 900th fantasy series with a big cliffhanger ending after every book. With the scapegracers though, I'm like, please, I need the sequel. I need to make sure they're all going to be okay. Yeah, I, I'm a little stressed. I hope Mr. Scratch is keeping an eye on those girls. Well, you know, he's a demon, so his idea of taking care of them might be kind of weird, but he seemed like he had his metaphorical heart in the right place at the end of the first book. I would think so, yeah. I think that the main thing that these two books have taught me is that the next time I am in the Midwest, I really need to keep an eye out for a witch coven that I can join there. With that, we've been Never the Twins Shall Meet. If you would like to keep up with our further podcasting misadventures, you can follow us on Twitter at NeverTwinsCast, on Instagram at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet, on Tumblr at NeverTheTwinsShallMeet.tumblr.com, 
And our website is neverthetwinsshallmeet.com. Thanks for listening.